0: So this is officially under okay so we're here with an editor for an editorial board with mayor john mitchell um with me is mike barner the city reporter and yvonne drayton uh, a member of our editorial advisory board and behind the camera is uh the editor-in-chief uh, beth perdue um we are typing this uh video uh and as we did with um, candidate charlie perry earlier and we'll put them both up both up after they're done uh, we're going to let both candidates introduce themselves and talk a little bit about themselves. Although the mayor is very well known, you might talk a little bit about what your agenda would be for your fourth term if you yep. win. And then we have a series of questions that we asked um, both candidates. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, we'll start off and uh, welcome Mayor Mitchell. And um, you. uh, uh, what's your agenda for your fourth term if you, if you win?
1: Well, let let me just say right up front, I I appreciate the opportunity to come before the editorial board to talk about um, uh, what we've accomplished over the last few years as well as uh, the agenda uh, moving forward. So, uh, you know, I ran for mayor because I thought that our city uh, deserved effective government. Uh, I thought that I could provide some leadership to tackle the really big problems. And, you know, we live in an era in which uh, all too often, talk passes for uh, for action and partisanship re- replaces problem solving. And I strongly felt that it didn't have to be that way, at least here in New Bedford. And so we've gone about government, uh, running the government in a certain way. They're, the city has challenges and also has a, a great deal of opportunities. And I felt that uh, if we were willing to have an honest dialogue about those things and not just talk but actually act, that we could activate the potential that we all agree the city has had. It's been so frustrating over the years when people say, you know, New Bedford has such potential. We say it among ourselves, uh, folks come here and say, wow, look at New Bedford, just has such potential. I mean, it's almost, it, it's almost like everybody understands that, but you got to do something about it. So that's what we've done. So when I got into office, uh, what was staring at us, staring at me, staring at the city, uh, very directly was a a, an unemployment problem. Unemployment was right around 13% and uh, people needed jobs. So we went about putting together a sound economic development strategy in which we invited in the the business leadership of the community to figure out what do we need to do? What's the plan? And then once we have a plan in place, we need to execute on it. And that's what we've done with the regeneration committee report. We brought in both the uh, leadership here at the paper at the time as well as the, ma- the leadership of the major uh, private sector employers and nonprofits and uh, put together a really sound plan with that has broad that has broad consensus and we've run it and run it and run it and the results speak for themselves uh, I some that while New Bedford has certainly benefited from the national recovery uh, we've done better in fact a lot better than most places uh, we've added I've submitted figures to you from the state that show this. We've added 5,000 jobs since I got into office. Uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts had the sharpest drop in unemployment of any city in the United States last year. That is a remarkable accomplishment. Um, and for those of us who remember the days when unemployment—the unemployment rate here was 20 plus percent—it um, is—it's it's quite an achievement. and Uh, And it's been broad-based. It's been in the port. It's been in small businesses. It's been in our manufacturers and I uh, To the extent that city government plays a role in it, and it does uh, We what we tried to do is set a a stable tone where businesses have a place uh, Know that they have they can approach city government and the city government will understand their issues and try to work with them to further their 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 goals Uh, We've done that we've we've invested in infrastructure. We've invested in Um, not just in the port, but in a number of other places. We've we've conveyed a sense that we're committed to growing the economy and leveraging the city's assets. For too long, the city's economic development was, uh, efforts were scattershot. It's it's been, over the years, grabbing at one opportunity after another uh, or saying, all we need to do is build a rail line to Boston and all our problems will be solved. Those aren't strategies. But rail lines important it's part of a strategy it is not a strategy unto itself we've had a strategy and we haven't wasted any time and, and running with it same thing goes with our schools the other big issue um, and the, this paper played a really pivotal role in this discussion back way back way back five years ago or so six years ago was that we had a school system that was completely dysfunctional utterly not working and Uh, It it was already under state monitoring when I got into office and as I was getting into office there were threats, not so subtle threats about state takeover. So we could have run away from it. We could have done what Lawrence had done just a few months earlier which was state come on and take it over. We can't handle it. Right? For an incoming mayor that would have been very understandable and I could have washed my hands of it. And people, serious people in this community were saying that's what you should do. Uh, I, I thought that was a really bad idea. I thought that would have it would have um, given the city a really uh, prominent black eye uh, uh, that would have taken years to uh, to undo. So we've gone about the hard work of confronting the challenges in the school district, and they were myriad. I mean, the basics: in a school committee that was that had its hands in the affairs of the, the school system. We had um, in making operational decisions. We had. Uh, a complete lack of accountability up and down the organization principles weren't being evaluated there was no clear sense of what good instruction looked like uh, finances were as clear as mud uh, personnel was being managed uh, on three by five cards it was it, it was still back in the 1950s so we've made some, at times some very painful changes to the school district as we had to and so what we have now is a foundation to build on I'm sure we're going to talk about education uh, later on today, but I the, the point I would uh, that I would suggest people infer from that is that we didn't run away from um, it, may, it may have been painful, but it's, it was absolutely necessary to take take that on and a lot of other places would have uh, administrations would have run away from it uh, same thing with um, Same thing with the city's finances and again, you know, we had city finances uh, Where we had in a city where there was no capital planning. We had no uh financial projections at all. We didn't have, we have this. the city lacked a CFO. Uh, there the, was huge inefficiencies across city government, both structural as well as programmatic. And we brought in expertise, and we brought in, we focused very hard on running the place the right way. And so now through a number of steps, a number of Uh, Of changes in the way we do business. The city has the highest bond rating in its history and it's on the verge of of improving, of getting an upgrade from there. Uh, We've come a long way despite really tough constraints because of state mandates, because of existing liabilities both in terms of deferred maintenance as well as uh, retiree benefits. Uh, again, we didn't run away from that and we've accomplished a lot. And the same goes with the built environment of the city. We have taken responsibility for the physical appearance of the city. That really matters. And I just talked about this the other day with somebody, you with know, a Boston developer that we're trying to attract here. You know, if you look at Custom House Square, for instance, that's a, that's a good example. Um, yeah, it's always great to have more parking spaces, but you know what? Um, there's the, the downtown in order to foster the development needed something beautiful in the middle of it and we got a, a great Bedford native to design for force and it for force for free which was an added virtue of it but when we built it we noticed two weeks later sure enough people were taking wedding photos there and they've continued to do that and you know when you guys took that great picture of you know the the uh, Couple that uh, were, they did their proposal on the cove walk. The same goes. The city deserves to have great public spaces and, and the design of the built environment, and the cleanliness of the place, and the, you know, especially when it comes to graffiti and, and other clutter. Um, dealing with that really matters. People want to feel good in their surroundings, and that's what we strive. To do, you have to do. That. Bedford residents deserve to live in a nice place as much as anybody does, and that's a that has been neglected for so long. Um, there are a number of other areas, but the, the overall approach has been to take on these things, to to uh, to always have the city's interest at heart, uh, and and not you know not cave to short-term considerations or political uh, special interests. To make fact-based decisions and to uh, uh, to communicate them as clearly as possible to the city, so people can understand where we're going. That's been my approach. Moving ahead, um, and just say a couple of things. And we'll go into I'm sure in the, in the question phase, but you know we have to continue to drive the economic development plan, especially in the port, especially when it comes to offshore wind. And offshore wind we've talk about for a while. Is that's that's been a sort of a centerpiece of our efforts in the port. Um, there's a lot to be gained there. That is the the anchor of our economy, the Port of New Bedford is, and uh, its diversification, which we've promoted, and the development of new industries there, um, and the the improved management of the port, and the financial stability of the Port Authority, uh, all will contribute to that in the years ahead. We've got some work there to to do, but it's come a long way. Uh, Secondly, we have to, uh, to my mind, uh, build on uh, become more of a knowledge-based economy. That's that's the way the world is going. And so, you know, again, that is that should be an asset-based approach here. And I sort of spelled it out a little bit in my last day of the city address, but the idea is there's a lot of capital in the fishing industry here. There's a lot that will be in the offshore wind industry to the extent that we're pushing knowledge the knowledge-based economy or cultivating a knowledge-based economy. It should be connected to the marine Sectors, because that's that's where the bread and butter is, and that's sort of a, that can be grown organically here. Um, so we want to promote entrepreneurship of every kind, but all, but particularly entrepreneurship of businesses that can be scaled up from existing capital sources here. Um, yeah, and then there are a host of other things going on with the economy, the, uh, the golf course project, which we can we can talk about. I think is a great opportunity for us to uh, to grow a great number of jobs and expand the tax base when it comes to. City- I, I, I just point out that you're hitting every single one of our questions in your. <laughs> <over laughs> All time.
0: right, I'll stop. Leave <laughs> nothing for yourself to talk about. Uh, if you, I mean, you're welcome to to, to continue on it, but. but- so in, I can just say
1: uh, what, I said, uh, uh, what I said before. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, go ahead and ask your question, okay? Sorry. So um, uh, these questions are actually uh, the same with um, a few additions. Um, as we asked in the 50-word answers, we had a lot of pushback that 50 words was not enough to say meaningful things. So this yep. is a great opportunity yep. to say more of what we would have liked to have said yep. in, in those statements. Okay. So uh, they are adjusted a little bit, but, but similar. Okay. Uh, what is your strategy for economic development in New Bedford? What are the best locations for developing jobs, and how could it
1: be done? Yeah. So, just so that, in the interest of completeness, let me just rewind a little bit. It's maybe a little repetitive. Um, so, this, the strategy that we have in place is a sound one. Um, it is uh, a plan. we have a, the plan in place that was created by the regeneration committee and my request. Um, and that is what we've been driving. And so when developers come to town, when potential investors come to town, we say this is what we're doing and everybody's on the same page. That's the way it's worked. That's an evolving document and so far as like every plan should be evolving, but the basics are the same, are the same which is it has to be based on what we do well, right? So again, for a long time in the city, it was catch as catch can when it came to economic development. It was like that sounds good, let's go pursue it, or that sounds good, that let's pursue it, or let's just build a rail to Boston. Um, what we've done is we've said that port is, is the basis of uh, is a, is the most important economic asset in the city, and we have to make the very most of it. And so that's that's what we do. So again what can grow out of that are things that we, I, I want as much as we are number one efficient. I want to grow commercial fishing here. I want to grow fish processing I want to grow every facet of the fishing industry here and I want to grow new fishing related industries here and that's why we've, we've uh, pushed uh, a couple of things the, the, uh, the, the ocean cluster uh, initiative which we announced at the whaling museum a couple of uh, weeks ago is an important one because we think that there's you know, there are opportunities for the, the fishing industry to get into here, to get into the processing industry, to get into more value-added work. So if you look at, like, so Iceland is the, is, the, is the prime example. So if you look at what they, they do, they hardly catch any fishing. Right? They still, by, by American standards, they don't catch much fish. By European standards, they catch a lot. But what they do very well is all the value-added businesses. So you take a fish, you take a, a cod, and you can not just use the meat to, for food, but you use certain parts for cosmetics, certain parts for pharmaceuticals, certain parts for whatever, industrial applications. So there's a lot of, I think, a lot of growth potential there, here, because we've got the resource here. We catch the fish in the Bedford for uh, the So I think that's that, that's an area where we're working from. Offshore wind is... Uh, something that we've worked on very hard because we knew we'd be competitive. We would be competitive because of the inherent advantages of infrastructure, proximity to the wind source, and the seafaring workforce here. So what we've done, we've taken these trips to Europe. We've we've done the industry conferences. We've pushed uh, the political agenda that supports the industry because ultimately what we want in offshore wind is what we have in fishing, which is the, the Center of a cluster here, right? So when I say a cluster, it's every facet of the industry. In offshore wind, it's fishing, it's 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 harvesting, it's processing, it's all the ancillary industries, it's research and so forth. In offshore wind, it's deployment, operations, and maintenance, manufacturing, training, and research. So in both cases, the S-Mass plays a uh, playing a core role. But if, so that to get there, what we've tried, to, the strategy has been. We in New Bedford have to know more about this industry and be more versed in it than anybody else. And we are, there's no doubt about it. Uh, in, in, in the United States, this is this is the place where people talk about it, where, where city government, municipal officials are versed in, 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 in the industry and in the workings of the industry and in the economics of the industry uh, so that we can be credible when we talk to folks. Uh, we have built a political consensus around this industry. So the legislation that happened, that, uh, that was absolutely uh, key to getting this thing off, to making the market. The, uh, the energy bill that passed last year would not have happened if we hadn't started to build a political consensus around it. That's what we've done. That's why we took 30 people over to uh, Bremerhaven and Coxhammer, Germany, and said, Look, this is what we can do in New Bedford you know, to have factories and have tremendous uh, economic, uh, broad based economic activity around this, this industry. So that created the political. Imperative to uh, or momentum to, to uh, push that legislation uh, along. And you know, we continue to, to be at the forefront of, um, uh, of all, all those discussions. Uh, we will see windmills here and probably and by 2021. Uh, these industries don't get off the ground immediately. Um, and but we continue to talk about it because. You know, if you look back and fast forward 50 years, people, uh, what I hope people say is yeah, those guys were way out ahead of everybody else and that's why they planted the flag here. You wonder why, you know, industry set up in in any particular place. You wonder why Silicon Valley is the center of um, software on the planet. Well, it's because they're, you know, after the Second World War, there were guys like Hewlett and Packard and a handful of others who were Connected with Stanford who built some businesses, and not, I mean that could have happened just around any university in the United States. But it just we, we we need to be to take full advantage of our first mover status, and that's that's what we've been we've been doing uh, in this industry. So 50 years from now, we hope people will say, "Yeah, back then those guys in New Bedford were really aggressive in getting out ahead of everybody else, and that's why that's why." It's, uh, it's, it's This thing is based in New Bedford and that's why it's employing people in New Bedford and that's why it's sustaining the economy in Southeastern Massachusetts. That's offshore wind. So there are a number of other things in the port we're working on. The North Terminal, uh, developing that, is, uh, we just got the EPA, and this is probably a story uh, worth writing, we just got uh, the, the green light from the EPA to proceed with that project under the state-enhanced remedy process, which means we don't have to go through some huge permitting process, uh, it's a big, big step to get that project going in conjunction with birth dredging of the state with the fund. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot to talk about, but you know, on the cultural side, so there, there are a lot of things in the port. I don't want to uh, go on, but the idea there is got to diversify, we have to play to our strengths, and when we do that, um, that will the port will continue to be the foundation of the whole economy in the region. The um, here in the downtown, here, not just the downtown, but citywide, primarily in the downtown, but everywhere, the cultural assets come for a lot. Uh, you know, we we think in the next few years, having established the, the, the state's first arts fund, that will be able to um, we'll be able to finally cultivate the city's artistic assets well. Um, that's that's a process that's happening that's probably another story for you Mike uh, as far as a uh, you know, we now have a consultant on board and the cultural planning effort is, is, is moving ahead um, you know the support for the cultural institutions uh, will, will matter a lot the Whale Museum, the Art Museum, Zyterian and so forth and we've been doing doing that all along and we'll continue to do that the downtown residential the raising residential headcount will be important to support more restaurants and more retail The hotel, which will come online in about six months, will help in that way. And then there are a number of other residential uh, projects that are in the pipeline. The the real estate market has firmed up three or four years ago. The gap that developers uh, needed to fill was was too broad uh, financially in terms of the financing of those projects. The uh, rents have come up now to a point where, you know, we can start to do some of those projects, which is really encouraging. in addition, so, I mean, and then the cultivating of, you know, placemaking here, I think is, is also in uh, the downtown is, is, is important. As far as the other parts of the city go in the south end, we'll continue, uh, particularly on the peninsula, to enhance the water connections as we've done with uh, the Harbor Walk and the Cold Walk and the work on the beaches and the S-Mast and, and all that, the innovation district around the S-Mast facility is something we're working on uh, right now. The, in the north end, uh, again, if you include the north end being going all the way to you know, up around Hathaway Road, you know the development of the filling of the existing industrial park, as well as the development of the, the golf course. I think will we'll grow more jobs. Still, there is demand, I and mean, we're, we're getting more knocks on the door now than we ever have, despite all the job growth, which is really encouraging. Um, and then you have uh, in the northern part of the harbor, you know, the work that's being done to clean up the harbor, which will lead to the lead ultimately to the construction of the uh, river walk, which I think will be enormously beneficial to uh, the north end uh, and the by connecting folks to uh, to the water and encouraging you know, raising the quality of life there. Uh, in terms of small businesses, again, you know, what we can do best there. Uh, is continuing the mentorship programs that we have, uh, the, the small business lending projects as well, through uh, programs through the, uh, the EDC, and uh, continue to do everything we can to hold the line on, on taxes, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about in a moment, but, uh, which is not an easy thing to do. But, uh, but I think that's you know, sound financial management is, is the key uh, to controlling spending, and that's, that's what we've been up to. Um, there's a lot else to talk about in economic development we could spend the whole time doing that because there is a lot in the pipeline. And I think I'll just close by on that question by saying this, you know, we have um, the goal with economic development really is to set the fundamentals up well, which is has to do with infrastructure, it has to do with improving the school system, Improving workforce development. And again, we could talk a lot about all those things individually, um, but also focusing on driving the assets. We've got a great port, we've got great infrastructure in the north end and the cultural assets in the downtown, as well as several other places around the city. You, you, you play your card, if you play the hand you're dealt well, um, you, you will see gains in the long run. And ultimately, what, we, what we'd like to see is a continued, continued, steady, stable growth over the long period of time, over a long period of time, rather than what we've experienced over a couple of generations in New Bedford, which is our economy emerging late from a recession and being one of the first to go back in. Right? We don't want to do that. We want to see stable, steady growth over a long, long period. So that people get opportunities, and that's what all this talk is about. It's about uh, creating opportunities so people can be here. They can they can raise a family. Can send their kids to college they can do the things they believe they wish to do have the ability to wish to they would to do the things they wish to do so they can have live a good life here and that's that's what we have to do we have to work we, we have to work those economic that our economic development strategy to make all that happen okay we're going to move on to crime for a while
0: uh, how should the city attack the current Midas- murder spike in New Bedford why has it happened? What about crime in general in the city? How do we keep it under control in struggling
1: neighborhoods? Yeah, so yeah, the, the overall decrease in crime has not reached every neighborhood in the city. And it's it very troubling to me that you know, in certain parts of the city we're still seeing the same problems. Um, it's true in other cities as well. We're seeing you know, similar trends, but uh, and I think there are different takes on why that's that's happening uh, in a city of our size sometimes it's a matter of one or two really bad people being out there um, and so some of the some of the problem is, is has to do with that uh, some of it has to do in those uh, in those neighborhoods where we have where we have a, a sharp we've had in the last ten years a sharp decrease in home ownership or, or I should say owner occupancy uh, that those neighborhoods are not as self-regulating as they used to be it's no longer the, it is no longer the prevailing arrangement that you know you have parents living on the first floor of a tenement grandparents on the second floor and cousin up, or kids or cousins or grandchildren on the third floor that's that is the that is decidedly the exception now and so what we have is we have remote ownership of pr- practically entire stretches of neighborhoods in our city where you know there's very very few people are keeping tabs, and very few people are keeping uh, are uh, regulating bad behavior on their own without without government, namely the police and namely code enforcers stepping in. So that is so that requires us to continue to ramp up uh, our efforts in those places. I was I walked uh, Tallman and North Front streets last night, Ashley Boulevard with the with the chief and our new captain in that particular area. Um, the city, Amos Mello, who uh, is in there now because he will bring a, uh, a hard charging approach to the problem. Um, there's no getting around the need to getting the police out there and making their presence felt in those neighborhoods and interacting directly with neighbors and chasing down the bad guys, to put it colloquially. There's just the intensification of police efforts and concentration of police efforts in those neighborhoods is over a sustained period is what it's going to take, and that requires a lot of effort. It requires uh, resources um, that we're prepared to uh, invest in those neighborhoods, um, including things like investing in in more cameras. Uh, I can tell you, based on personal experience in the courtroom, that you can't cross-examine a tape. So if you play, you, know, you play with the camera, and, and it shows that someone's done a crime. They're, they're going to get convicted. Uh, so we need more of that, and we can't do it on every block. But there are places where we know we need them. The, uh, and we need to do a better job in uh, using data to make deployment decisions of police officers. We're still behind the times in, in that way, I believe. So you know, with good data, you can see. As we're starting to see now, it's getting better, but. You know, you can see you know, where things are taking place in terms of time of day and day, day of week so that you know uh, how to staff up uh, at particular times so, so that we can prevent those things. And the other piece is, you know, what happens in the courtroom. We're all familiar with you know, the, the intro to the show Law and Order, right? There are two parts of the criminal justice system. There's the police officers are out on the street and there's what happens in the courtroom. And what's happening in the courtroom is just, to my mind, uh, uh, Really troubling. I mean, it is the the kinds of bail decisions that you're seeing in district court are, to me, just so different from what happens in federal court, where you know bad people are really dangerous people are kept behind bars to await trial. That doesn't happen. There is a merry-go-round in state district court that is uh, uh, difficult to comprehend. It is causing. Problems in our community, and I think some of it stems from the fact that there were very few. And this is going to sound really parochial, but this is the well, way I see it: very few folks from from the New Bedford area who sit on the benches here. It just there is it's almost like there's a sort of a foreign occupation in that way. Um, so I, I find that uh, I find that very troubling. I, I think the uh, I think the court the court over there uh, doesn't keep good data on dispositions so it's all very anecdotal Uh, but anybody who works over there you can ask anyone who works over there uh, they would tell you um, unless they're a defense attorney (laughs) that people would let go uh, Uh, a little follow-up
0: here um why do you think there was uh, skepticism in some quarters about the fbi statistics
1: that climbs down the most categories in the city um I think that because in some, some neighborhoods, it's not down at all. And so people, you know, uh, and then the, 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 there are certain, certain offenses that uh, attract a lot of attention. You know, clearly up in homicides. And that's, uh, you know, we can talk all want about how that compares, you know, even, even at this elevated rate of homicides, how that might compare favorably with, with many other cities. But, you know, if it's in your neighborhood, um, you know, it's, it's disturbing. Uh, so to my mind, uh, I, I want every neighborhood to be safe and I want every neighborhood to feel safe. So dealing both with the perception and the reality. Um, so I, I think, so we've, we've got to take that on. I mean, we, it's not, I'm not here to debate, um, you know, how New Bedford stands or to point out how New Bedford stands objectively in relation to other cities in terms of its crime rate. There are parts of our city where people feel safe. We've got to deal with that head on. I'm curious when it comes to the courts. Are there things, better things, better ways that the police can do to present their investigations, evidence or anything, or is it just specifically on those district judges? Um, I think if you, so I, I think there's always improvement. Uh, you can always say, well, we need better advocacy in the courtroom, right? There's a, always say that i'm sure the d.a would say yeah we can always improve our game uh i think the biggest thing and i'll just be really candid with it i think the media needs to get in there i think that 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 the the doors of that courthouse need to be thrown open to the daylight Uh, it's been a long time since that courthouse has been covered with with any consistency and not just you know for arraignments of high profile cases i'm talking about sitting in there and watching people who have long records be let out on minimal hill that happens all the time we have there are a legion of stories in the last few years where we've had folks who are have a uh, track record an unambiguous track record of you know, being a danger to the community and who've been just let out and have gone right back out and done exactly what they've they're accustomed to doing whether it's robbing a convenience store or selling drugs or whatever it's happened time and time again
0: all right, so next question um, has a, uh, a number of moving parts to it, so I'm happy to repeat any of the uh, parts if you, uh, if you would like. Um, what do you think of the city's current problem properties ordinance and how it relates to crime and housing quality? Uh, are there ways to better deal with the city council on this issue? Also, what what is working on the issue of affordable housing in New Bedford and what is not working and what is working to
1: address homelessness and what is not working? The problem property ordinance is a a very different issue. Um, Let me just attack that first and we'll talk about housing. Um, So when it comes to... So the problem property ordinance I think needs to be beefed up. What I ended up passing the city council was greatly watered down from the version I submitted to the City Council. Uh, It's watered down in terms of what um, the the number of offenses that would trigger the the application of the statute. It it was watered down in terms of the types of offenses, including uh, the elimination of uh, code violations as a predicate for the triggering of the statute. Uh, I think we need to beef that up. I think we've seen some improvement just by virtue of sending out the warning letters I mean, the, uh, the chief reports to me that you know those letters have made a difference I and mean, we've also sent a lot of those letters to and this is something I suggested to the to the department we've sent those warning letters to uh, the banks that hold the mortgages for those properties so that you know, the banks and a lot of them are local banks and we've told them you know guess what you know you're, you're, so they, you know they're on notice that they're lending lending money to very irresponsible people and that, um, you know, we might take some steps to really, uh, to uh, bring up some really high fines on that property. And so if they want the mortgage uh, paid, they might want to, uh, to, uh, to uh, speak up uh, to uh, their, uh, you know, the folks, their, their mortgagees, and, and, uh, and, and let them know that they're not pleased with, 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 uh, with the way things are happening. So I, I think what I'd like to see, and the, the property ordinance does need to be beefed up. I think it has, we've had some success, um, but I think it's a tool that we haven't, um, we, we haven't, we could utilize better if it, if it were beefed up. How, did, how do you get to the council? Some of the councilors
0: have received money from um, uh, the quote woods. Some of them have their signs in the slumlords um, yes, properties. Uh, as they do. Uh,
1: how do you um, well there will be a new city council on January 2nd, 1st, you know, whichever it is and so we're, we're going to suggest some changes and I think uh, I think what we're going to see is I think I believe that this, the composition of the, the new city council and all, all likelihood will be more amenable to and in 2018 would be more amenable to some of those changes I'm just going uh, that as far as uh, housing uh, goes in the city I mean so these so there is and homelessness so let me let me deal with with, I'll just talk about housing I mean we we still have this is not the Boston real estate market so if I were the mayor of Boston I would say we need to build more uh, housing that is uh, that who who's that have affordability caps in other words encourage construction of housing that has afford, uh, affordable tax credits built in, so that developers can leave open properties for folks who you know, uh, make a certain amount of um, below a certain amount, uh, level of income, whether it's you know the median household income for the area, or whatever. I mean, there are different types of credits and different programs that set caps. Uh, but this is a very different market. This market has just, is just starting to tighten up after after crashing in 2008. It still has uh, some slack in supply we still have vacant housing in the city some of that's being fixed up um, but we, we're not at a point where we, we look around and say you know the safe, the place is being you know, built up and housing demand is 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 is, is pushing people out of, out of the city that's not something that, that i see uh, happening it could happen in the next few years but what
0: do you but think it, a, a two bedroom mechanics lane goes for you tell me that's where you live i that's what i'm asking um i was surprised that they're going for 900 a thousand um 1100 if they're in great shape uh uh so i don't know that that that's more than my mortgage so i think that that would be uh um, it's going to have
1: rent it's not up, things, rents are but, going up but until you start seeing a apar- market apartments being built in downtown right in particular in the downtown because that's Where they're most expensive, even if rents them, then we can't say that the market has recovered entirely, right? We've been trying to do that, and even with with um, uh, allowing for some uh, state subsidy, whether it's through the HDP program or the new workforce housing, program there are a number of programs, but in the absence of subsidies, those housing. Uh, new apartment buildings are still not being built in, in downtown New Bedford because the rents are still not high enough to support it. So we're not about to go flood the market with affordable units and dilute the, uh, the, uh, the rents across the city. Because you're not going to see things get built. Developers are only going to build if they know that they're going to get a return. So you know, does the so, city have enough um, public housing? It has more than enough. It is. It is. Um, it, we have, most of the folks in public housing are not originally from New Bedford. They're not. Um, and, and, uh, so we, we house, public housing was built at a time, a lot of it was built uh, after the Second World War to support returning veterans and it re- they remained in place, until the, but the purpose changed, not just to house veterans, but to house, to house um, and I, this isn't true of everything in public housing, but to house, uh, folks who are, who, are, who are indigent and, and for a while up until a couple, a few decades ago was to house the working poor now it's you know public housing has become a default for not we want to put we certainly want to put roofs over the heads of folks who are from New Bedford but you know public housing in the city should not be the default for folks who are you know pushed out of Boston you know, Boston should be building building housing for their folks. What about homelessness? Oh, yeah. Homelessness. And, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, we may have uh, a spike in uh, homelessness with our Puerto Rican
1: population in the near future uh, well not, we're not seeing that yet and we're firmly geared up to uh, to deal with an influx of Puerto Rican families and we want to make sure we take care of them uh, we've seen you know, in the last two or three weeks 25 new kids in the school system 25, as of a couple of days ago, might even be higher now, um, who've come in from, from Puerto Rico. So we want to make sure that we are, are able to help them get housing, help them get uh, jobs, and, and help them uh, get their kids into classrooms. So, uh, you know, but in terms of homelessness overall, uh, it's become more conspicuous, and there are people on the street, obviously, can-handling and, and, And begging has has become uh, more conspicuous. Uh, A lot of those folks are not homeless. In fact, according to the police, the majority of them are not homeless. Uh, What's what's I think driving some of the problem. (coughs) We've had actually had a little bit of a dip in the point in time count from two years ago to last year. We have another point in time count in January. But what we have um, we have a lot of addicted people here. Every city in America now has a lot of addicted people who are out panhandling or dysfunctional, and I think the bigger so the bigger you know, push for us. You you see all those people panhandling in the Octopus and other places where, and even though that's happening, there are plenty of empty beds at the Sister Rose shelter, right? So uh, you know, we have a situation where people are getting either on drugs and they're not allowed into the shelter because it's a dry shelter. Uh, or they're just choosing to sleep outside in in, uh, in you know, remote areas. Uh, we'll, we have to deal more with uh, with the drug problem. We with the support of the state and the federal government because it is a national problem. It's probably another one of your questions about the opioid problem, which we've you know, talked a lot about. But I think it's you know, those that when we talk about homelessness, you can't talk about homelessness in this city, or frankly, any city in America without talking about. It. Uh, about substance abuse,
0: We'll go so. um, on to our uh, schools. Um, now, increased spending on the benefit schools, uh, particularly the turnaround plans, has led to some pressure on property taxes. Do you support meeting the state's net school spending amount every year? How would you better control the growth in property taxes, including getting control of state mandates on employee health care and pensions?
1: Related question. There's <laughs> a lot to unpack there. Uh, so as i said earlier I, the, 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 the city's finances have never been better managed uh, the, the getting our whole a hold of the way we spend money in the city was one of my top priorities and you know i think the results have have um are evident we have now have the highest wall street bond rating in the city's history the budget just our budget just won a national award from uh, GFOA, which stands for the General Financial Officer Association, something um, the, the accrediting group of CF, uh, municipal CF, CFOs. Um, you know, the, the the budget is much more transparent now. We uh, adopted the open checkbook approach, so people can see right down to the penny what the city is spending its money on. Just go to the website and can just see see what's happening. So, transparency and credibility accounts uh, for for a lot of that. Um, and you know we've achieved tremendous efficiencies uh, across the board the energy program we've had in place which is a you know got a lot of attention I think on that for good reason is uh, is saving us a lot of money all those solar projects all the solar panels on the schools and uh, particularly uh, places like Sullivan's Ledge and out of the water treatment plant and a number of other places have saved the city about will have saved the city about Twenty-two million dollars over thirty years. That's that's helping uh, a good deal, um, but you know, it's there is still tremendous pressure on the city, um, on the on the city's fisc. In other words, uh, there are we have we face tremendous financial pressures uh, from a number of directions. Much of which is dictated uh, by state policy. So we've discussed before the city's got a 300 roughly 360 million dollar budget about 324 million of that is the general fund budget you know the rest is so comprised of the enterprise funds so of that 324 about half of it is supported by a little more than half of it is supported by state aid most of that being state education aid we have um, you know we have uh, faced, over the years, tremendous pressure in um, dealing with the onslaught of state mandates. About 73% of the entire budget is already spoken for. In other words, we can't cut it. You can't. We fund the school system and that school spending, right? So that's, in other words, that the amount that we pay for schools is irreducible. We pay for health care, 75% of the, of the health care premiums for our employees, that is practically off-limits off in terms of the, the contributions, but 75%, 25% uh, pensions is fixed. And because the city, like the number of other cities in the state, didn't bother to pay you know, the, the annual required contributions, the so-called park years ago, it means that now we're paying even more so that we can make sure that our pension uh, fund is fully funded when folks who are working now retire in 20 years. Uh, that's that's amounting now to 26 million bucks It went up another million bucks uh, just this past year. It's a lot of money. Charter schools, the, uh, the proliferation of charter school here and charter school slots has crowded out educational spending and that's gone up a million cents just in the last year. Um, however you feel about charter schools uh, in, in Massachusetts, the way they are funded crowds out municipal spending uh, and this is just another area where if charter schools are. An underfunded mandate it's not an unfunded mandate because you do get some reimbursement but the the reimbursement for charter schools is paltry by by the state the state says you will do this charter school you're gonna pay for it and we'll we'll give you a few dollars back along the way there's a funding formula as you all know for reimbursements that goes from 100% in year one to 50 25 25 25 and then it phases out Uh, that hasn't even been funded fully so uh, if the state puts is is putting cities in a very difficult position in a very difficult position. And then you look at healthcare costs. Healthcare costs are growing. So last year, this year, budgeted budgeted at approximately 8, 8.9%. Last year, I think it was 7 ish. Uh, that's growing a lot. And so there were things, so there, we only have so many levers to pull uh, apart from changing state policy and getting, and getting the state to give us more authority to change that which they are now requiring us to do. One of the things that we will add that I will do as soon as I'm sworn into the next term is to file again um, our municipal health care reform proposal this is the so-called section 21 adoption uh, proposal that would allow us to at least have the ability to go to an arbitrator when we try to negotiate health benefits with the public employee units so if you look around the region so if you look around southern let's just take southern Bristol County right so if you looked at a map, only New Bedford and Westport haven't adopted it. So all of the surrounding communities, so that's Fairhaven and it Dartmouth, Fall River, Somerset, um, Freetown, they've all adopted it. So it begs the question well, why hasn't New Bedford done that? Uh, they've all, all these communities have seen that it makes abundant sense. You know, at present, when we say to the union, look, we, we need to change benefits so that the city can better afford them. The union can say no, and they do say no, and we can't do anything about it. That's just an untenable position for us, and we're watching health care costs crowd out everything else. And so when people want more money for schools, as the schools certainly do need, um, we, can't, we can't do it. When taxpayers correctly say taxes are getting too high, we're having a tough time delivering on that because of these things. So it is. It, we're, so I proposed it a few months ago as all of you know the city council shot it down uh, The uh, public employee union spoke up and the, the city council heard them um, There will be a new council in January And we're going to go right back at it because we have to list as every other community with, with the exception of one Has done in, in this region. So I think that's really important as far as school funding goes. Yeah, I mean okay. I, so one of the one of the virtues of Lowering health care costs that it is, that it effectively raises the net school spending level right because net school spending is based on The formula is based on a state foundational budget that's determined by a formula subtracting so out those kind of services that the city <coughs> provides to the school district one of which is Is health care, right? So if you reduce health care costs it'll tend to raise according to that formula the net school spending level so it'll result with so because 60% of our employees are in the school department, the, um, about 60% of the savings would be, um, the, the equivalent of 60% of the savings would, 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 uh, uh, would be, would be added to the that school spending amount. It's probably the most accurate way to phrase it. I, I know some of this stuff gets, we're way in the weeds here. So folks who are watching say, well, geez, you know, the mayor's way in the weeds on this. That's exactly right. It's taxpayer money. I get way in the way in the weeds because you have to because we we do watch every single penny. So I'm just trying to say You you think you can commit to net school spending every year, or you think it's a? we do commit to it. So it's a little bit. There's a there's a so when that question is asked, there's an assumption uh, in it that I don't accept, which is the city hasn't been hitting its net school spending amount. So net school spending is a prediction. At the beginning of every year we have to predict how much health care is going to cost how much the schools are going to spend on salaries and so forth it is a projection um, and those projections so if those projections fall short as they often do because we're not appropriating more money to the school system, so we're always going to fall somewhat short of it whatever that difference is so if that school spending is you know th- this year it's one, 130.9 million dollars right so if we end up $100,000 short of that, that gets tacked onto the net school spending number for the next year, right? So you know you have to continue to catch up. So and, and we do, and we we do keep up with that. So uh, I think getting away from this, it, it is a, an accounting convention, right? Uh, net school spending. I think what people should know, who are listening to this, is that the school system does need more money. We right? right. need to fix schools. We do need to have competitive salaries for our teachers. We do need. To, uh, to build out more technology in the classrooms. There are certain supports that we need more of for urban students who come, some of them come from, from difficult backgrounds. We need uh, ELL student or more support for uh, kids who don't speak English as their first language. We need all of those things and more. So uh, what we've tried to do, the approach has been all along uh, to try to balance those things and it's really hard. It's really, there's no, no getting around it. It is, it is hard look at the numbers very carefully on the one hand we need to lighten the load on taxpayers in the long run we've done and we've delivered on sound financial management the city think anybody can deny that but at the same time you know we've got these cost pressures and we have the and we have needs we have needs in the school department that have to be addressed and and so what we've, what we've attempted to do over the last few years is to, to try to balance those, those competing interests
0: just by way of explanation, the reason we asked that question is because when the school officials were here, they complained that
1: the school spending hasn't been met. I, you know, like I realize I'm aware of those complaints and I'm, and I'm, and I'm aware of the way they are framed. I'm not sure I, and I know that I don't accept the, the premise that we're not hitting that school spending. Okay. Alright, so let's move on
0: to uh, the golf course. Uh, obviously, you, you proposed uh, uh, developing uh, part of the municipal golf course as an industrial park. Um, if I remember correctly, some of those precincts around the golf course, you had some challenges in the preliminary uh, election. Uh, uh, how would you balance the need for jobs versus the need for recreational opportunities for the city and address the traffic concerns, which seems to be a, um, something that you hear uh, people who live in that area near the golf course concerned yeah. about increased traffic with the marijuana facility would also include it? Um,
1: so- so the premise for the golf course project is, is this: the city needs more jobs. Just because we've had a great run-up in jobs uh, in the last few years doesn't mean we're done. We need to continue to grow the economy of this city and of Greater New Bedford. Uh, this is this land uh, is prime industrial land. It sits at the intersection of two major highways. It has a rail spur. It sits. Uh, it has uh, access to. Underground infrastructure, water and wastewater that is um, easy to connect up, and it sits right next to an airport that, for which we just uh, received, 139 FAA 139 status, which means it's going to be a real airport. So, if you're somebody wants to find a place to do business in Massachusetts and they uh, and you need space, you need all access for all those things, this is probably this may be the best site in the Northeast. So, we think we can. Uh, and, and, Minimum, very conservatively speaking have a thousand jobs there we can expand the tax base and you can't you know people are saying taxes need to be lower and they're right but you can't at the same time say oh we don't want to explore the possibility of, of developing uh, greenfield space in the city now all that said um, that's a great course it has been poorly managed for a long time I think with the development of that will come uh, a, a better golf course, which might be nine holes, it might even be 18 holes. It will depend on uh, how things are configured in the long run. We're looking at all those things. Uh, but at the end of the day, that is that, that that is something, that is a huge opportunity that the city has to take advantage of. And for those who say that, well, we've got other space in the city, um, I ask, tell, tell me where. So we have. An industrial park that has one available lot, lot ten or eleven, which whichever one it is, uh, that's it. After sixty years, we've got uh, almost entirely full industrial park, a business park in the north end. Uh, we have a, one, almost one quarter of Bedford's land mass consists of the Cushnet Cedar Swamp, that huge area between the airport uh, north all the way to the industrial park. Uh, it's all wetland. The state put it aside back in the early 70s as conservation land so we can't develop there and that's we can, that, That's whether that was a good idea or a bad idea that ship has sailed so uh and if you talk to folks if you look at places like some of the mills and a lot of the mills are filling up there aren't too many like totally empty mills anymore because they've been developed for residential or for light industrial uses most of them have now even the ones that are still empty are not good places to do modern manufacturing or modern distribution because of tight streets and, and uh, inaccessibility to highways, um, confined spaces in, in the interior, poles that, that run on, on warehouse floors, or posts I should say, that um, you know modern manufacturers don't want. So you know we, we, this is an effort where we're saying we're saying what you know we put this idea out there because we gave it a lot of thought. Uh, I think there's a very, very strong argument that uh, that it can help with the, the, the tax burden, that it can create more job opportunities and create spillover economic development, and um, without without many downsides. As far as when I mean, you asked about traffic, I'll just address that. Um, traffic is a lot lighter than cars than it used to be. Cinnamon 140 is no longer there. Uh, Rosie's, which was one of the most popular restaurants in the city for a long time, is no longer there. Uh, what we have there is, is a, and the hotel that's there there uh, is not exactly bustling. It used to be much busier than it is now. So there's actually, so traffic has actually gone down a lot there, and so that's why cars travel a lot faster there uh, than they used to because they just aren't as wide open space. Uh, we have had traffic engineers look at that site, and they all say, no, this is this roadway can easily accommodate. Uh, the volume of traffic that would come with a uh, with a construction that's that's proposed at that site. Is there any chance the land is dirty from the adjacent landfill? The not a, not where they are developing. No, no I there's in fact no chance of that. There's never been any industrial use there. It was farmland before it became a part of the golf course. All right, that was a short one. Sorry. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Uh, look, when you've been in office, like I have, you're you know you're immersed in these issues, and you know so some somebody might watch this and say, you know what, he's going on a a, long, a, a, a lot of a, a lot on these issues, and I, that's you know uh, what I've tried to do is not govern in sound bites. We, we we take a close look at this stuff. That's what people deserve. It's not like we don't do these things by the seat of our pants. We don't propose a know a golf course development just by saying you know wouldn't it be grand what do you guys think you now we actually do our homework and get into the details because that's what people expect and it's just in such I mean I'm not I don't want to pat myself sound like I'm patting myself on the back about this but you know let's watch stuff in Washington and even in Boston and, and hear you know, the, the discourse about court issue being so shallow you know, we're a city that's got its challenges it's got its opportunities and we've got it we've got to pull We've got to deal with all of them in a very detailed, thoughtful way, uh, or else we're not going to we're, we're not going to succeed. That's that's the way we have to go about it.
0: Um, this next question um, goes back to the police department. Uh, how do you think the um, city's police department is functioning? Excellent, good, fair, or poor? What areas are functioning well, and what areas could be improved? When uh, Charlie Perry was here. He talked about um, respect having to be earned, and he's mentioned uh, the appointment of Captain Mellow, uh, uh, Lieutenant Mellow, uh, to be the new North End station, uh, who is an acknowledged childhood friend of um, uh, Chief Cordero. Is uh, talking to the police department about that. Charlie described
1: the morale as very poor. Yeah, is that is that accurate? Well, yeah. There's several things to impact there but uh, if you're asking me in general what what I think is working well in the police department it start with the chief you know so for my mind so when it comes to public safety that the, the mayor primarily executes a public safety strategy through the chief of police and so the appointment of the chief is paramount um, we have a very uh, qualified person running the department right now uh, Joe Cadero has done just about everything in, in the department he understands um, the whole suite of technical issues very well, um, you know, running from criminal procedure to technology to um, you know uh, deployment decisions. I mean, all the way down the line. But he also understands. He also has really good core leadership skills. He knows how to manage up and do the external um, relations in the community, and he's been very good at that. But he also understands how to motivate folks and. Uh, so I, I think so in terms of having uh, good leadership we've got it um, one of the things that we've done we haven't talked about it too much at least in a while is um, when he came on board we, we talked about something that I'd wanted to do for a while in the police department and talked to Dave Provencher about this and that is to do a top-to-bottom review of the department so we have a police department the last time New Bedford did a review of its police department was in the wake of the Morris Pena incident back in the early 90s, when you had a, a someone who was being held downtown who um, ended up dying in police custody, and there was there were lawsuits that followed, and, and it exposed a number of problems in the police department that ultimately resulted in a uh, a report commissioned by the city and done by uh, former NYPD uh, Commissioner Bill Bratton that. Uh, laid out a number of issues that had to be dealt with right uh, that's the way planning often goes on in police departments it's in the in response to a scandal or an excessive force case or some other problem there aren't major problems in the police department now There are always going to be morale issues here and there I mean some, sometimes it's in the nature of things in the police departments for a variety of reasons but what we do have is a police department that is overall good and what I'd like to see it you do is to go to great getting there now we're at a point now where we've begun uh, began a few months ago a review uh, by a a firm that specializes in management reviews of police departments um, that is now ongoing so uh, and we'd be happy to talk more about it but the point but just in general the, the things that I'd like to see change in the police department is, again, some of the things I touched on before. I think we need to become more modern in our use of technology, because if you, if you understand where crime is taking place and where the problems are, um, you can be more effective and more efficient. So, you know, police, we can't have a police officer on every block, but if we have a sense of where the, the, where they're needed, we can put we can put them there, and you can only do that through a combination of good data and good police intuition. I think there need, probably needs to be some more training, um, a beef, more beefed-up training program. I think overall, we have a, um, you know, a department works pretty well in terms of its relations with the community. There's probably some employ, uh, improvement there, but I think overall, we have we have skirted some of the problems that have afflicted other cities uh, that have experienced tremendous racial tension between their departments and, and, their, and uh, the communities they serve. Um, we're not perfect in, in that way, but we're Sure, a lot better than, than most cities. So I think that's that's an area. There is a uh, I think there has to be uh, probably a, a better understanding. I'd, I'd like to see uh, in general some uh, there, there are going to be some changes. I'd like to see in the collective bargaining agreement. And I don't want to get into negotiation because there is a an open contract negotiation right now that's been going on for a while. I think that has to, it might have, it might go a long way to explain why there are some disgruntled folks in the, in the department. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I'd like to see is that um, you know, promotions to a court positions like district captains happen on a more merit-based, uh, that, that happen in a more merit-based way. Um, you know, uh, I think having Amos Mello in that district is going to a big difference. He is energized. He knows what he's doing. Um, And and when we walked around last night on Tallman Street and the near North End, you know, one of the things that's, you know, just I was reminded of is that, you know, policing in troubled urban neighborhoods is an exercise in many ways and it, it, phrase it this way, In, in, in troubled urban neighborhoods like we have around Tallman Street, the police have to have to really show up, ready to play that It is almost the sports analogies work here. You almost have to get geared up for a game because it requires a level of intensity and focus that um, that um, is, is requires more hard work. Um, and by that, I mean it's you just can't go through the motions it, it, because there is. You know, there's a, there's a sensitivity in the community, and there's 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 a, an ongoing threat. You have to be up up for dealing with that, and that just simply requires a lot more hard work. So, uh, I, I think we have a very solid police department. Uh, I've said as much. I mean, when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office at with Police Departments, lots of police departments, lots of federal agencies, and and the uh, Police Department had a very good reputation, and uh, and I think it's it's only getting better and i think there's potential for it to be just really one of the best in the entire country i I really believe that if we take a few uh, additional steps including the ones i've I've outlined
0: um we have about 12 minutes left so we have two questions okay Um, so i'll keep my answers under six minutes (laughs) (laughs) an informational statement Uh, so um one of the biggest environmental problems in the city and one of the biggest successes what is working about our approach to the harbor cleanup pocket street Wayside, site brownfields in the inner city uh, i think we've had
1: so <clears throat> and one of, the, one of the one of the biggest challenges we've had as a city is that in addition to you know, have, uh, dealing with a number of problems associated with the loss of traditional industry here has been um, the legacy of those industries themselves. There's a lot of pollution, and uh, you know, the harbor is one of the obviously one of the, the biggest, but you know, Parker Street is, is another, and um, you know, there were brownfield sites in, in many parts of the city. Um, you know, we have in place a, uh, a very effective uh, resilient, director of resilience now, is her new title, uh, but uh, environmental steward Michelle Paul. Who you know is a licensed site professional, and an LSP, who brings both pri- broad private sector as well as public sector experience to her job, and we've been able to move things along in a thoughtful way, in a way that um, has because she's really good at interacting with people, has, has, has uh, I think garnered the confidence of uh, of the community. We're about to close up Barker Street. I mean, we have we're closing up. We just finished the lawsuit. Um, and that went I think pretty well and we uh, we've finished up with EPA uh, that's happened in the last few months and now we have a, a plan to, to deal with the rest of the site We're seeing the dog park uh, built there I think that's going to add something to the quality of life in that neighborhood frankly citywide uh, and then we have more uh, construction that will go on right next to Keith to provide the kids at Keith a, a playing field that they lack now that's the Damascus food site Yeah. Um, but I think we've we've managed a, managed the difficult situation pretty well. The harbor cleanup has, uh, is moving uh, apace. Uh, the uh, EPA is very active in the harbor now. It's moving along far faster than it was before, in large part uh, because of the uh, settlement with AVX. And um, and so we'll see. That's been a real, I think, in the long run, it'll, it'll, that'll be a real demonstration of a good working relationship with the Environmental Protection Agency because we've done a lot of work uh, with them, especially during the Obama administration to plan out how the thing is going to look after EPA is done cleaning up. So the Riverwalk Riverwalk really wasn't planned at all when I got into office. It's been planned well now. The EPA, we've figured out with the EPA where they can really help move that project along so we're actually going to be able to spend more money on that project uh, without burdening our own taxpayers and to make it even nicer so uh, I I think that's that that's just going to take time Uh, it's not going to be done in the next couple of years we're probably looking at four or five years but it's a massive project the uh, but more generally you know there with with respect to other contaminated sites we continue to uh, to plan well to do uh, site assessments and and and, uh, try to put properties back on the market. There are there, a number of examples. There's a lot of frustration with
0: the most twist real site. It's in the yep. heart of one of the Cape Verde neighborhoods yep. uh, uh, that more can't be done with that. Is there, you know, there, there is deep contamination in the ledge, but we really just have a, a small garden spot, which is great, but is there more that could be done?
1: With that well, sight? there are two pieces over there, right? So there's the, you know, there's the western piece that's, you know, closer to St. John's Church, and then there's the the eastern piece that's, uh, and, and that piece, of the, the western side is, is clean, but the eastern side is not clean, and that's owned by, you know, whoever Viacom was bought out by, right? It's been all these sort of corporate successors over the years, and we've pushed the EPA very hard to, to get to get you know, the owners to, to clean it up, and it's been, that has been a real point of frustration uh, that, uh, that that site isn't clean, it should be. Um, whether it gets redeveloped is, is I think uh, a question of uh, the market so you know there isn't a lot of demand for real estate in that part of the city so uh, you know whether something gets built there by the private sector is, is again going to uh, it'll happen as the market overall in the city firms up and this goes back to your question about housing and so forth If the, the markets that hasn't hasn't tightened up enough to to um, uh, to bear construction there but I'd like to if there are opportunities we certainly want to promote them because I think even having some mixed use uh, at you know either of those sites would be I think very beneficial to, to that part of the
0: city. Andy has a question on opioids I don't think you have a question in front of you. No that's okay um, it's basically uh, the, the, what we've uh, uncovered in the, the recent report that we did on opioids and uh, just do you think the city's doing enough to combat opioid addiction addiction in New Bedford uh, and if not, what else should we do? I mean, you tied it into the, the homeless situation, and, and you can't have, uh, yeah, you have I mean, to address
1: the two problems together, but just opioids by themselves. Uh, we've done a lot, and I'll just I'll give you the punchline, which is we've done an awful lot. We do it very well, but if there are other things we should be doing, I'm totally game for them because it's such a huge problem. It's not unique to New Bedford, as you know. It's not unique to Massachusetts or the Northeast anymore, uh, Northeast or cold country. It's it's everywhere now, and uh, you know it's it's going to be with us for a while. So we have to think both short term and long term. You know, the strategy that we've employed with our task force has been multi-dimensional. It's dealing with responses, uh, being responsive to folks who are ODing. That's facet one. We were one of the first communities in the state to arm our first responders with Narcan, and so we've had lots and lots of saves, and that's good. Some of those people have had to be saved multiple times, but then there's also been some that have gotten into treatment, too. Um, Interdiction is another part part of the the approach. Our police department has been very active in in, uh, pursuing Drug dealers, especially dealers of fentanyl, um, which is just, you know, poison, and that's really what it is—a lethal poison. Uh, but that—that has to be part of the, the effort, especially working with other law enforcement agencies. There've been a couple of really big federal cases involving fentanyl in the last uh, last few months, and there needs to be more of that to stem the tide. Uh, we can talk about fentanyl a lot because it's a, just a, such a huge threat. Uh, uh, third. Uh, we've got uh, outreach and treatment is, is a big part of what we have to do and have been doing. So, the, you know, the ride along uh, efforts that we've been doing with clergy have, to, I think, have borne some fruit. Uh, we have a program, as you know, where we send clergy out with plainclothes police officers to sites where, uh, to houses where we know uh, folks who are addicted or their family members live to try to get those folks into treatment during the window in which. Uh, people are most open to uh, uh, getting treatment. Um, you know, things like uh, the, uh, you know the counseling centers that we've we've had uh, we've opened up in different parts of the city to, from time to time to get people into to treatment. We've had we've had some success there, probably uh, not as much as we'd like, but we have to we have to try. And and um, uh, you know, overall, you know, the task force. Well, and I think the fourth part is really education. I mean, we, we, this is a long term effort, and uh, one of the biggest things we can do is just to dissuade, dissuade folks from ever taking uh, opioids. Um, so that means you know, a commitment to education on um, uh, the, the perils of uh, opioid use and drug use generally. So we do that as early as fourth grade or so, right? in, in an age-appropriate way. We don't beat kids over the head about opioids at that young of an age, but we do say, try to cultivate in them a willingness to, an ability to make good choices, right? So we frame it in those terms, and then we get more explicit as uh, as they go through school. So, you know, overall, um, you know, this is an area, this is, this is such, it is such a, a vexing problem, and we're you know all in at, at the local level, um, in the long run, what we're probably going to see is, I think we're going to see improvement as more states do what Massachusetts has done, which is to turn, help turn off the spigot of prescription opioids. Uh, I'm still convinced that you know, there are CEOs of certain drug companies and even some physicians who should be indicted because I think they, they, they were a big part of this problem. You know, years ago, there was litigation against the, uh, the tobacco companies and their allegations about you know, the way they marketed things. And the, the, those were I think, in many ways, cases that some of those cases were a stretch. When it comes to opioids, this it, it was pretty clear that it should have been really clear to them what they were what they were doing. Uh, but that that's what's accounted for the up, in, the uptick in, in the, the problem, I, I think. Plus, you know, there's been a surge in cheaper heroin changes in the way heroin is distributed in the country uh, as people and, and, and so we've had a lot of folks who have been addicted to prescription opioids who've made the transition to heroin and then fentanyl as well but uh, once that spigot is turned off you'll see a decline is the, the, the decline in uh, fatal overdoses is probably going to take longer um, what we've seen in the bedroom by the way is a decline in this year and in, in ods but not a decline in Fatal ODs, and that's because of the, the proliferation of fentanyl, which is not slowing down. It's it's, uh, it's now more and more being manufactured in the U.S. as opposed to, to China. So, yeah, so that's a problem that's going to be with us for a while. I think the federal government can do a better job of providing resources as well as data. I think the uh, HHS at the federal level could be doing more to uh, help track the problem um, because it'll become become clearer how states and, and cities should re- respond to the problem. It's one of the things the federal government does well is to collect and assimilate data. Uh, so I think that's an area where, where they could be helpful.
0: So after 18 months or so of the uh, the law being placed for, for the limiting the prescription drugs at yeah. the, the state law, um, is, is there any indication that, that fewer people are being introduced
1: to um, to opioids? or, or well it hope so right so so I guess the answer to your question is I'm not aware of any data to that effect um, I think that's hard to hard to get hard to know I mean, uh, at least in the short term but you know it would stand the reason that you know if, if physicians are actually complying with that law that you know there's less of a chance of two things one someone just taking Know, a bunch of pills and getting getting hooked after they've had minor surgery, right? Uh, the high school, you know the, uh, you know, the paradigm examples have become the high school athlete or the person who's had chronic back issues or, or you know, someone's been injured at work and they start taking the pills and they get hooked and they switch, a, switch to heroin or contraband pills after they, their prescriptions have run out. With, the, with a small volume of pills on the market, there's less of a chance of that happening uh, or um, you know the resale of, of, uh, of pills as, as well. So uh, the part of the problem is that uh, you know we it, Massachusetts has done a good job with that. Not every state has followed. So you know we live in a you know an interstate market, and so pills get you know get, can get resold from pill mills that are in Ohio or Florida or some of these other places that have had you know have had a problem with pill mills over time.
0: As the problem escalates and there's more recognition on the state and federal level that this is a crisis, do you see any aid coming to municipalities? Do you see any potential for more financial support in addressing the opioid crisis in a local area?
1: Uh, I can hope for it, we can advocate for it, and we have, uh, and it would be useful, but you know, like with a lot of other things from the federal government, I'm not holding my breath. Um, I I don't, that's just, Way we've operated is we have assumed that the federal government's not going to be coming to our rescue on on that or many uh, on other challenges. Uh, I think the federal, as I said, I think the federal government could do more uh, in the way of helping with um, with inpatient treatment. It's not to say that you know we're going to be building beds here um, in, in the city proper, but I think having you know regional facilities like the one in you know one in Taunton, one. In Plymouth may be helpful to, to us here, um, and I also think that the, the more more can be spent on on just collecting data and uh, helping you know, the entire country in light of that data, strategize about where resources should go. All right, well, this has been great. Thanks for yeah. No, I like. Like time. I said, let me just close by saying yeah. For those who've been watching this uh, on, on Facebook, well, yeah, I've had a lot to say, and as I mentioned earlier it's that's the kind of that that kind of detail is what's required of the person who occupies this job you you have to be in that at that level of detail it's new Bedford City government is a big complex enterprise we have a 360 million dollar budget we have 3,000 employees it's bigger than a lemonade stand for sure and we have uh, and that requires a very strong team Requires a lot of thought and a lot of homework, and, uh, and it requires our, you know, working through complex legal and financial problems all the time. And uh, and so I think what we've accomplished in the last five years is uh, improvements that people can see. Whether it's in you know the way that we manage our budget, you can go right on the website and see what we spend our, our money on, and you can see that. We've got this higher bond rating uh, now that you know, is on a scale that's, that uh, treats every city in America the same. Uh, we have um, we built things in the city or facilitated the building of things in the city that have added to the quality of life, including the harbor Walk and the cove Walk, work on public parks, uh, 2,000 plus street trees, and uh, new road work all up and down the city. Uh, more that is going to happen Uh, the school system is a place where we have thrown the brakes on total dysfunction and now we have a foundation laid, and we're going to be in the the process of in the next few years of building the rest of the house and I think that's going to require much more community input uh, than we've uh, historically experienced And, uh, and so we're at a point now where Uh, Now that the monitor has left uh, the school district, we've got to fly the plane on our own, and that takes a slightly different approach to uh, managing the school system. Uh, When it comes to public safety, we um, you know, we've got the right leadership in place. We've got a really good police chief who has a community policing strategy that uh, will work and he is uh, putting the right people in the right place and I have full confidence that uh, that we're going to be able to Deal with those pressing issues, those vexing issues in some, certain of our neighborhoods uh, that haven't ex, uh, experienced a, a decrease in, in, uh, in crime. So all in all, uh, you know we, we've had uh, we've had a lot of momentum, and, and in the next couple of years, I'm prepared, uh, prepared to uh, committed uh, to keeping it all going. Thank you very much. Just going to run
0: this dog to see if we can find any type of uh,
1: human remains that are left.